we're always finding ways to other other people. We're always finding ways to push people away. And for me, those that are on the margins are those that I am trying to draw most near. It's not just about doing that for their sake, but it's about doing that for my sake because I truly believe that I'm being transformed by that. And my sense is that if we all lived in that way, reaching out further, working to overcome the boundary lines that divide us, that we would live in a different kind of world. Hi, Nathan here again. You made it. This is the last episode of Elevated Denver. We've got some work to do to try to offer a way to think about all of this. Remember what Councilwoman Sidabaka said in the last episode? It is a big spectrum, and we don't have a coordinated effort to solve. In this final episode, we'd like to zoom all the way out and see if we can get a look at the whole spectrum that she's talking about there. And then we'll hear from Britta Fisher from the city of Denver to go into detail about the city's plan to address homelessness and others who are implementing innovative solutions. And we'll close by asking what else is needed to solve this issue for good. All of that is ahead. You ready? Think about the way the world is and the way that the world could be. All of our systems are interrelated and interdependent. Multiple pathways for a common purpose. We're looking at a human being and there's a life story. 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 Hey, this is what's going on. An elevated Denver starts now. I'm going to attempt to lay out a kind of ecosystem map to help us get our arms around the broad spectrum of homelessness, to understand how many of the different people and organizations working on this issue fit together. From the top, let's start with the fundamental mismatch between income and the cost of living in Denver. If we focus right there for a moment, we can see a primary root of the problem. And we can understand the importance of affordable housing efforts to resolve it. Here's Kathy Alderman from the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless. Wages certainly have not kept up with the cost of living. Minimum wage in Colorado is $12 an hour. In order for someone to afford a reasonable two-bedroom, they would need $26 an hour. They'd have to work two full-time jobs. Since that fundamental income cost of housing issue exists, it creates a situation where people who might just barely be making ends meet have something happen that leads to an unforeseen expense. This could be a medical issue, having a car breakdown, getting laid off or having hours reduced, a breakup or a divorce, or having the rent increase, etc. Research tells us that roughly 40% of people in America have less than $400 in savings. And for our neighbors who are living in this situation, an unforeseen urgent expense can start a potentially vicious cycle that can lead to impossible choices between food and childcare. 
heat and water, and medications, transportation, and rent. Recognizing this tightrope, many government programs and nonprofits, and even some employers, have stepped in to create crisis funds. Remember the way that Whole Foods helped Jesse? To help people regain balance and hopefully rebound. But those programs are not yet the norm. What most people are told to do when they need this kind of help is to call 211, where they will hopefully be connected with the help they need so they can stay on the tightrope. We see people calling for food resources, housing, grant payment assistance, families looking to find a licensed childcare provider, individuals funding to get their SNAP benefits going. Before the pandemic, we averaged about 300 contacts per day. At the height of the pandemic, we were receiving over 2,000 contacts per day. That was pretty crazy. And sometimes this help works. The hope is our neighbors get the temporary assistance they need and they get back in balance. But much of this assistance isn't designed to be available to meet an urgent need. And when it is, help to restabilize often isn't available. Remember that the systems that provide this help are hard to navigate under the best of circumstances. But if our neighbors are going through a traumatic event like Myra was, and or if they can't hang on for a few weeks or months for benefits to kick in, it's much more likely that they will fall. Never saw it coming. <laughs> That's another thing. I never saw it coming. I never thought that I would be on this side of the fence. And when they do fall, they often wind up homeless, relying on their personal relationships to avoid sleeping on the streets. And those without many personal relationships, or those who have exhausted theirs, find themselves visibly homeless, literally sleeping on the streets. Yeah, one morning, coffee at my kitchen table, and the next morning, a tent with a foot of snow around it. And to help those people, we see another group of programs like shelters, day centers, caseworkers, advocacy groups, safe outdoor spaces, and tiny homes. And hopefully, if they survive the life and death experience of being homeless long enough, our neighbors can connect with some form of transitional housing and begin healing their trauma while slowly climbing back towards self-sufficiency. Here too, there are many agencies focused and much good work happening, like we saw from Myra's experience with Colorado Coalition for the Homeless and Jesse and Jasmine's experience with Warren Village. That is the broad spectrum of homelessness. As several comments throughout the series have hinted, a lot of people believe that the problem of homelessness in Denver is actually solvable. So we'd like to turn our attention to what it will take to make that happen. Here is Britta Fisher, the first director of Denver's newly created Department of Housing Stability, to share the city's five-year plan for how to put us on track to end homelessness in Denver. So first off, our plan is informed by the community. And I'm very proud that it is very informed by people with lived expertise. They have experienced housing instability or homelessness in fact, 53% of my own staff here at the city of Denver have lived expertise. 
we started in 2019 and finished up in 2021. Here's the path to a healthy, housed, and connected Denver. And here's how far we believe we can get in the next five years. And it's pretty ambitious. We want to create and preserve 7,000 affordable homes in the next five years. We want to reduce unsheltered homelessness by half. These are not small goals in terms of investment, partnership. These are ambitious goals with also a realistic and pragmatic look at how can we get the dollars and the partnerships to line up. Let's start with housing stability because that's the name of our department. Our biggest hope is that someone's never in a housing crisis that results in homelessness, that we are able to help them maintain housing stability. Housing stability is some of our most efficient, effective, and lowest cost investments. One of our first programs that we had, even before we had a department, was the Temporary Rental Utility Assistance Program. If you had a life disruption, we could come in and help cover the rent for up to six months, and hopefully then you never had to leave your apartment, your home. How can we help somebody weather that storm and prevent a much deeper crisis, a much more expensive crisis? It's really about helping people stay in the homes they're in and having options within their neighborhoods where they can stay with their faith community, schools, families, networks of support, because that's so important to all of our lives. So what that looks like is reducing the number of evictions. We want to see that reduced by 25%. So in the next five years, going from about 8,800 filings per year to 6,600. There's two big policies on the horizon that are also part of this plan. One is our expanding housing affordability. This is going to council in the near future. It really says that affordable housing is mandatory in Denver that it is a critical piece of infrastructure for every development, and that for those who build housing, they must include affordable housing as part of their development at a certain percentage. And if they are not going to deliver it, they have to pay a fee in lieu. And the fee in lieu is significant enough to help us truly build additional affordable housing. We need more affordable homes. We have about 24,000 here in Denver, but that's only 7% of our housing stock. And that relates then to the second policy, the prioritization policy, where we are going to prioritize residents who are at risk or who have been displaced to have priority access to newly developed affordable housing. So those are the plans for dealing with the mismatch between wages and housing costs and the financial insecurity that comes with it. Bring a lot more affordable housing online and for people on the tightrope, help them stay in their homes by helping with rent in times of crisis and stay in their neighborhoods in the face of rising prices. But what about the plan for those who are currently unhoused? There is money in government and we need to be able to deliver it to our partners with efficiency and effectiveness. And it takes people to do that things like reducing the amount of time it takes to get a contract, time it takes to get paid, 
you know, we have hundreds of contracts and thousands of invoices, and we need people and systems that work effectively for the scale that we have now. Three and a half years ago, when I started, we were 16 people in a housing division. We're now delivering hundreds of millions of dollars of resources instead of tens of millions of resources. And we have to scale our systems internally so that we can scale our systems externally. But what Denver voters should know is that in 2020, we're so grateful that you all passed the Homelessness Resolution Fund. That has given us the ability to really forecast the resources for supportive housing. That is housing from the social impact bond. Housing plus supports. It works, it saves a ton of money, but it costs some money up front. And so we have forecast for the next decade, we can deliver 1,800 units here in Denver, about 900 as supportive housing units. And that's with a lot of effort from a lot of different organizations. The social impact bond that Britta just mentioned is an amazing story that needs a short digression. Here's Cole Chandler. We've launched a pilot program a few years ago called the Social Impact Bond Project. Basically, we created 250 housing units that were financed through private dollars. The whole calculus was, let's take the 250 most costly utilizers of emergency services, healthcare, detox, and jail. Let's identify who those people are, go find them and put them in housing and let's see if that is actually cheaper in the long run. So these are the people that might be defined as service resistant. People might think, oh, they don't actually wanna be in housing. All of them but one said yes. They studied it and for every night that someone was in housing, not in jail, they were saving money. And they were able to pay all that money back to those private investors Compared to a control group, the program cut arrests by 40%, jail stays by 30%, ER visits by 40%, and detox facility use by a whopping 65%. Three years in, more than three quarters of the people who started the program were still in it. The city is calling it a remarkable success, and as Britta just mentioned, the plan is to double down on that success and expand the program dramatically. So that's an overview of the plan, and it's time for a short break. But when we come back, we'll take a look at what else needs to happen to end homelessness in Denver. We'll be right back. A frequent question we get about this podcast is, who funded it? Well, uh, we did which is to say that this is an independent production that was a labor of love. But our plan is to use this space to highlight some of the great work that sponsor organizations are doing to cultivate an elevated Denver. And if you're listening to this piece of audio, it means that there's room for us to share your story right here. We'll work with you to write a one to two minute story about the good work that you're doing and how it came to be. And then I'll read it and we'll play it right here so that more people can learn about your commitment to this community. That's good for you and it's good for us because your sponsorship will help this work 
and help us get it out to more people. If you want the details, just go to the contact page at www.elevateddenver.co and fill out the form and we'll be in touch. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Let's take just a moment to reflect on the journey that this series has followed. We began with an overview of homelessness in Denver through the eyes of three of our neighbors who are leading organizations dedicated to meeting the needs of people who are unhoused. I saw people sleeping outside for the very first time and it, it shook me. If those very people are not involved in giving input, then we are making you know, bad decisions. Just go talk to people and ask them where they slept last night. Then we met a woman named Myra who had lived through this broad spectrum of homelessness. Like I'm carrying around a matching suitcase set downtown, sleeping down there in order to go to work. We visited the place where she found the help that she needed and got to know one of our many neighbors who makes that help possible. As outreach workers, we're not trying to save the world. We're not trying to save any one individual. We're just trying to do a bit of good, you know, and solve some problems. We met more of our neighbors who are still in the midst of their struggle to find their way back into housing. I'm trying to get myself back on track. I understand how the streets is. It ain't no joke. I'm waiting patiently. Hopefully today before the day is over with, I should have that key to move in. We toured a safe outdoor space that exists to help people create a foundation upon which to rebuild their lives. It's a great opportunity for that first step for them to get off the streets and then they can adjust themselves to being confined a little bit. We saw how complex the system for affordable housing can be. People end up on the phone for literal days trying to get a hold of someone. And we met two more of our neighbors, both single mothers, who found a home and game-changing support that helps them blossom into who they are meant to be. I was just devoting everything to school. Keep shooting for the stars, and who's to say what will happen? Then we looked at the history and policy decisions that created Denver's current problems with housing insecurity and that keep roughly 44% of our neighbors in a perilous position. Everybody blames the banks for redlining and putting circles around neighborhoods, but these were federal policies. I've been shocked at how much I didn't know. And finally, in this episode, we've heard the city's five-year plan to do something about it. Here's the path to a healthy, housed, and connected Denver. But that plan, ambitious as it is, is only the beginning of Denver's journey to end homelessness. The rest of it is up to us, all of us, business, government, nonprofits, and residents working together to cultivate an elevated Denver. We're seeing more and more people diving in in a way that they've never done before. And what I hope it translates into is different representation. I want to see someone who has been homeless running for these seats that are making decisions about the unhoused population. When less than 2% of our city budget 
is designated for the largest problem in our city, we've got a problem with the decision makers. I think we just need different people making the decisions. We still have over 20,000 vacant units in the city and our point in time count only reveals a little over 4,000 unhoused people. That mismatch is more important for us to deal with than fighting about campsites. Communities have got to get over this notion that they don't want those people living near me. We have to understand that if you don't want people experiencing homelessness to live next door to you, let's provide them with housing and then they will no longer be homeless and they will behave as other housed people do. Tiny homes, safe outdoor spaces, they don't cost the same to develop as a traditional building does. Orders of magnitude, less. And part of the thing that that does is it creates opportunities for community financing, for raising philanthropic dollars, and actually bringing on a significant number of units. One thing that every person in Denver can do is be a neighbor to more neighbors. In order for us to meet the needs of a growing city, Denver will be changing. And it has to include affordable housing. It has to be seen as essential infrastructure, whether that's adding accessory dwelling units and duplexes into a primarily single family neighborhood to whole complexes of multifamily including affordable housing within market rate housing. We have to be willing to be neighbors to more people. There's all sorts of ways to be engaged, showing up to vote, running for office commissions, nonprofit boards, volunteering. And I would absolutely start at the most fundamental part of our family units and say, that means being a good parent, a good aunt or uncle, a good friend. Because when somebody is in a crisis, the thing that helps people the most is a person who supports them. So showing up for your own circles of support is probably one of the most essential things those narratives around people pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, they really need to be transformed. In order to be a safe, healthy society, we need people to have the base level of needs met. And that is a path to reducing trauma, to reducing suffering. And the more that we can reduce all the things that make someone extremely vulnerable on a daily basis, we're going to build actual safety and health for our entire society. I'm hopeful, I think, for maybe the first time. This issue is on the forefront of so many people's minds. The survey that Denver is putting out about how to use recovery funds, the number one issue at 34% was addressing homelessness. State government is starting to talk about homelessness and making investments in housing where it never has before. I do think that there's some opportunities I just really hope we get it right. And with that, dear listener, we are at the end of our series. What we believe is that if we are to cultivate an elevated Denver, 
in which everyone can meet their basic needs and find fulfillment, then we are all going to have to take a fresh look at the successes and the failures of our current systems and the way that the private, public, and nonprofit sectors and larger community are engaging to make progress toward that goal. We quickly realized that this work would mean nothing if we couldn't share it broadly and invite those of our neighbors who believe that better is possible to engage with us and with each other to find a way forward together. This podcast is intended to be a foundation for what Elevated Denver really is. A forum for innovation in our city to advance the enduring well-being and dignity of all. In listening to this series, you are now prepared, or at least as prepared as we are, to actually engage in the real-life work of cultivating an elevated Denver. This series focuses on the economic and social systems we have created that have generated incredible wealth and prosperity, but that also create financial scarcity for roughly 44% of the people who live here. It is clear to us that this is less than ideal. Financial self-sufficiency is but one aspect of what it means to thrive in our modern context. Our interviews have raised more questions than they've answered, and perhaps this exploration will continue in other podcasts. There is one thing we know for sure, though. This podcast is just entertainment. It is not impact. It is not progress. And it has not been worth our time in producing or your time in listening, unless it can actually inspire you, all of us, to re-examine our assumptions and begin to expand our work to cultivate an elevated Denver together. So, listener, if you're looking for a place to start, let me invite you one last time to visit elevateddenver.co, like Colorado. There, you'll find the most up-to-date information about what Elevated Denver is doing now and what you can do to make a difference for your neighbors. On behalf of Jana, Tony, and I, let me say thank you for listening to this series and for helping anyone else who should listen to it to find it. We'll see you around town. The Elevated Denver podcast series would not have been possible without the help of a broad community, and I want to take a moment to thank them all now. First up, the many people and organizations who helped us along the way. Kathy Alderman and the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless, Cole Chandler, Jennifer Forker and the Colorado Village Collaborative, Ethan Hemming and Warren Village, Graydon Charlesworth, Amanda Pennington and the St. Francis Center, Britta Fisher and the Denver Office for Housing Stability, Debbie Solis, Elizabeth Nevarez, and Mile High United Way, and 211, Jamie Ford, and all copy products. Thank you also to all of the people who lent their voices to this podcast. In order of appearance, they are Kathy Alderman, Cole Chandler, Therese Howard, Myra Nagy, Graydon Charlesworth, Mr. Williams, the gentleman who requested anonymity, Alan, 
Harrison Edwards, Elise Matatal, Jasmine White, Jesse Doris, Susan Powers, and Britta Fisher. A very special thanks to our advisory committee members, Leanne Morrison, Felisa Gonzalez, Elise Matatal, Mika Banks, Jasmine White, Karen Collins, Andres Guerrero, Alex Wilson, China Caliph, Myra Nagy, and Marissa Avila. Nathan Church is our editor, sound designer, and barista. Production was provided by Haiti Pro Cinema. Elevated Denver is produced and critiqued by Tony Minardi. Strategy, planning, and social distancing are provided by Jonna Flood. The all-local music you heard in this podcast is thanks to our music supervisor, Zach Warkenton, and features Onocon, New Mexican, Greensleeves, and Sarah Slayton. China Califf helped to develop the idea for this production. I am your director and host, Nathan Havey. If you want to go deeper, you'll find background and extras at elevateddenver.co, like Colorado. And while you're there, jump on the email list so we can be in touch and hopefully get your help too. It's going to take all of us to build an elevated Denver. Denver.